The following is not intended for younger audiences. The opinions expressed do not reflect the views of the podcaster's employers. Now, sit back, relax, and enjoy Two Dudes, One Double Feature. Welcome! Welcome, everyone, to Two Dudes, One Double Feature, the show in which two dudes talk two films, and that is about it. I am Dude One, Richard. And I am Dude Two, Joe. And welcome, welcome, everybody. Um, At the top of the episode, I do want to mention something real quick. It's kind of an unfortunate um, bit of news, though hopefully by now, because um, this is happening as we're talking but whenever this uploads hopefully they're they're fine but um our amazing composers john and kenny who you know they've been with us since the beginning unfortunately they both um caught covid um their whole pretty much their whole family got it and um i was talking to john recently and he's he, he said he wasn't doing the best he said he just lost his taste and smell uh, which is pretty rough. They're all vaccinated. Um, I think one of them got a booster. Um, I think that's the one that sort of evaded things, thankfully. But um, from from what I've heard, uh, a few other family members have gotten a little bit better. I, I've heard Kenny's getting better, but Kenny, no one's gone to the hospital, so that's good. Um, I know Kenny's Kenny's getting better, from what I've heard. Um, he was able to finish the radio drama, which was nice of him. He didn't have to. He could have just chilled, obviously. Um, John was sort of a late addition. John actually thought he had it and, um, was just sort of getting off of it because he was feeling kind of, kind of gross and, um, all the tests were coming back negative and then he got a positive test and then that's when like, you know, things were starting to kick up and so he lost his taste and smell and he's had migraines and so it's, listen, it's not, it's not a joke as it's not, it's not, it's real obviously and it's, it's hurting people we love, um, so, uh, at the end of it all, I really hope John, Kenny, and the rest of their family a speedy recovery. Hopefully, by, again, hopefully by now that we're talking, um, they'll be uh, they'll be more they'll be better, obviously. So, um, and obviously, get vaccinated, wear your mask, get tested, all that stuff, please and thank you. Um, uh, and then a weird attempt at a segue. Uh, <laughs> how how are you? <laughs> Well, I just I also just want to echo everything you just said. Yeah. You know, um just to just to give people perspective. We're recording this literally the day after Christmas. So it's never a fun time to catch any of this stuff. It's no. also just not great during this time of year, which is supposed to be a joyous time, but um just uh we're, we're thinking about you over here, boys. Um and Armstrong the entire the Armstrong family. Um you know, I'm doing, I'm doing fine, you know, over here. Obviously. Did you have a good Christmas? Yeah. Um, it was crazy. You know, basically, usually how Christmases go down, we head over to my grandmother's house in the morning, like late morning. Mm-hmm. We'll open our gifts in, early in the morning, go there late morning, come back here because we hosted at our house Christmas dinner, um, you know, and, you know, we have antipast, we have lasagna, chicken, bunch of dessert. You know, got Christmas tunes playing, and it was really the first time we had the uh, everybody over for a big thing like that. 
since Christmas of 2019. Everything felt pretty safe, too? As far as, as, as much as you can be, um, nothing is foolproof. Nope. You know, outside of just having everybody, but it's, it's also, there's so, there's so many hard things, like, just mental gymnastics you do, obviously, but it was a nice time. We had, you know, everybody had a nice time. And the worst thing was we had food catered. Basically, we we had we got, we got food from this Italian place, which we've been doing the last couple of years, mm-hmm. and we wanted sausage, just like in red sauce. But they gave us sausage and peppers, like mixed together, like mixed together. And listen, I like a sausage, good sausage and pepper sandwich, as much as the next person. But it was not at all what we wanted. But you know, it, that that was the only real snafu. But luckily, it mm. wasn't the lasagna or the chicken that had any, you know any of that those issues going on um yeah I, I don't really have much else to say about christmas you know i got some discs i went on a amazon spray i got a bunch of amazon gift cards and i got a bunch of ordered a bunch of discs i've been looking at it i got uh close encounters on 4k the thin man some some of the more of the thin man movies um a couple movies that just hit blu-ray in the warner archive so you know there's that but how how are you? Uh, I'm a little exhausted, if I'm being honest. You know, I worked yesterday. I always work Christmas, um, which has never changed, pandemic or no. Uh, but yesterday was, is it wasn't as bad. I mean, obviously it was hectic. You know, hey, we got a lot of new people, and some people are still kind of adjusting, it seems, to the way we do things. So we're definitely, of, uh, there are, I will say this, there, there are a lot of new people who do a really good job. And know and know what they're doing, and you know they have work experience even before, so that's nice. And so that hundred percent helped. Um, nothing, nothing too bad. Uh, the only downside is we don't have any janitors at work right now. Um, so I, I still, I mean, I have I've heard things, but I don't necessarily know what's going on. But um, right. um, obviously it kind of sucks to have to stay longer just to get everything clean. But you know, hey, it's clean now. Yeah. So. Um, other than that, uh, I was telling you, I was telling you before we were recording, it didn't really feel, it hasn't really felt like Christmas to me in a while. I don't know why. Maybe it's pandemic, maybe not. Uh, it just hasn't really had like a Christmas feel. It's like yesterday, like this is a clear indication I had no clue it was Christmas for a cer- to a certain degree. Um, I was leaving to go on my break and I was going to go get some food at a, at a drive through and then I, nothing was open. <laughs> and I was like, "Oh yeah, it's Christmas." <laughs> like it's not just another Saturday. It you know is a holiday. Um, so I it's just I don't know. I just have not been feeling the Christmas spirit in a while. But the I did have some fun though. We played some games with my my mom, my dad, and my sister. Uh, I got my mom a bowling a wooden like miniature bowling thing because she has been constantly asking me if we can go bowling and I'm like no <laughs> no <laughs> like even even before a pandemic it's just no <laughs> it's a little gross that <laughs> <laughs> makes me think of um Ted Ted Lasso where his kid got him he's into darts and his kid mm. got a mini mini dartboard <laughs> <laughs> see great minds me and uh me and that little kid. We we know. Um, let's see what else. Uh, I got some discs. Um, 
got a bunch because obviously I, I just upgraded to 4K, so I got a bunch of 4K movies. Um, I got a record player, which I did not expect. Um, I've I've th- always thought about trying out vinyl, and I know a lot of people who are really into vinyl. Um, I've never actually like. I could have just took taken the leap, but I just never really like bothered. But now I now I have one, so I'm gonna give it a try. Um, uh, thinking about some vinyls in my brain, I might want to check out. Um, I got my dad a copy of the new James Bond because he's a big James Bond fan, and so I got him the new one. And I I told the story already on uh, earlier episode. I got my sister. Um, the Little Mermaid, Lilo and Stitch, like plushie, the exclusive one from Disney, um, that she needed. And, um, I think I set it up pretty well because earlier, uh, in the week I had went to my sister's house to wrap my parents' gifts. And I was like, and she, she, and, uh, she has, she has no clue at this point what I got her. And I'm like, where? And so I, um, I'm going up into her room and I see the Stitch, dolls that she has she has four of them and i'm like oh are these the stitch dolls and she's like yeah i'm like oh these are really cool i don't i've never seen one of these in person so <laughs> 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 like, no, i don't know what you're talking about um which obviously you know she has no clue so i just i'm just like trying to like cement it that like this is new to me um uh, but she really liked it that was the first thing first thing she opened so that was cool um and then, uh, yeah, so now I'm just here again. Nothing nothing too overtly exciting. Um, just been trying to relax still. Um, watching movies. Watching these two movies that we got this week. Um, but uh, w- what's interesting... This is my weird segue into the, to the topic at hand. Um, but what's funny about this episode is this is another one of those episodes we planned, like, a while ago. Um, yes. Like, <laughs> like, we... It had to have been sometime last year i think you know what i mean or like last last year for us 2020 i mean by the way yes yeah um because i remember we were talking about what that was it the afi list that this is kind of based on specifically this is actually more based on the the sight and sound magazine list Um, okay do you mind if i give the context yeah oh no go for it go for it so um sight and sound uh is like a film magazine and Every 10 years, um, every 10 years, they put out um, a list of like, what critics deem as like the greatest movies of all time. There's also mm-hmm. like a director curated list, I believe, as well. And the last time they did this list was in 2012. So this, the, the, when this episode comes out in 2022, they'll put an, um, a list out later on in the year, I believe. Mm-hmm. And what was interesting was, for many decades, there was one film that would consistently be number one consistently 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 and, and that uh is our first film today <laughs> our first film today uh which um also begs uh, begs the the oh no hold on what am i trying to say here it also carries the uh the quote unquote the designation on on a lot of different lists as the uh greatest movie of all time and that film ladies and gentlemen is the 1941 film? I just I needed confirmation from Joey so I got that right. The 1941 Orson Welles directed film, Citizen Kane. Uh, this is this is a big one. Uh, this is this big, is a big one. This is a whole episode's a big episode, really. Let's be honest. Uh, this is this is actually kind of huge. Um, also, well, I mean, it's also huge because was this episode 74? 
three, four, somewhere? It's in the 70s. It's in the, se- it's in the mid-70s. Yeah. And I, I never thought we'd get to this point. Like, yeah, when I was suggesting this episode, I'm like, yeah, I'll just, I'll just suggest episodes. Why not? Yeah. Yeah. It's not like we're going to do them. It's not, we're we're going to give up on this. And it's like, we haven't. No. Oh, we're, oh, we're still, oh, we're still doing this. Okay. But like, and, no, it's, it's funny. Cause like I was watching just a completely different thing, but I was watching, um, the hot ones episode with tenacious D and I guess they were talking about, um, how Kyle gas, uh, Room. There was a rumor that Kyle Gass initially hated Jack Black, or like was annoyed by him, and he was like, "No, that's not true. I was just jealous, uh, like, you know, because he's a younger guy and he was so talented." And Jack Black, guy, Jack Black goes, "Well, that's kind of how a lot of best friends are come about. <laughs> They're just like, all right, you know what? I'll just join them. <laughs> <laughs> you know, all right, we're friends, I guess. <laughs> I'm not works. saying that. I'm not saying that's us, but." <laughs> Oh my gosh! <laughs> we did make we did we did sing a song together, so I mean we could be tenacious D. This this this, this is true. This is very true. But yeah, uh, Citizen Kane. Um, you, I mean, I have a history with this movie, as you know. But you, you're clear, of the two of us, clear the clear fan of this movie, without a doubt. Which is also funny because it's not even my favorite Orson Welles movie. I wouldn't even put it as my number two favorite Orson Welles movie. Is it in the top five at least? It's in the top three, definitely though. I'll so it's so it's number three, basically. It's number, it's, it's yeah. number three. Yeah. <laughs> so can I guess what the other is? Chimes at Midnight is one of them. Yes, that's no, number one. Chimes at Midnight is number one. Is is it the other one, Othello, or is it not? No. No. Othello no, is, um, is all right. It's a. Weird uh, you might not be able to guess it. And there's one I think you'll guess, but it's not it. It's not Touch of Evil. No, it's not. I don't think it's Touch of Evil. No, because Charlton Heston plays a Mexican. It, it's a good uh, one, though. I love it. <laughs> and I can't wait for that um, that Kino 4K of that movie. Um, Is it... Because th- he didn't direct it. Was it The Third Man? Because he's in it? No. Do you count that one? That's not... That, no, it's not. I'm, as far what, as directorial, it? Uh, it is F for Fake. That was, that was the last one I was going with. I had literally just thought of that. <laughs> it's such a strange movie. It's I don't know what we would pair that one with, but it's it's one that I would love to talk about. F, F for Vendetta. F, F for Vendetta. <laughs> just the title. Have no, have, <laughs> nothing to do with Calvin. It's the title. It'd be the weirdest double feature pairing on this show. And we paired Congo with Batman <laughs> forever. But those ones worked out for some reason. even those make more sense (laughs) but yeah no citizen kane yes keep going so let me go citizen kane so my first exposure to this movie was as a lot of movies uh uh, my dad's vhs collection right Mm -hmm. this was in the box this was in the box just just some context for anyone who's just now listening this is their first episode um joey's dad had a huge box of vhs's and i feel like a lot of it's a legendary honestly like it feels like it's sort of like a mythological thing. Admittedly. Actually, I, I'm just gonna. Well, some of them were bought in the box, but like I have this turntable, uh, this turn, this turning shelf. Mm. That's where I keep my Criterion Blu-rays now. But it used to have my dad's tapes. Oh, really? Um, um, yes, and um, that's what like Die Hard, Jurassic Park, the Star Wars movies, Indiana Jones, and then another one. Uh, did I say King Kong already? No. Okay, King so. Kong was definitely one of them, which yeah. you know makes sense. Is my favorite movie ever. 
But another one of those movies uh, on that shelf was Citizen Kane. Yeah. And, and I'm like, is it about a guy who's a citizen? I was, I was like eight years old looking at <laughs> Is like, he old? Is this? Why does he need a cane? Uh, what? <sighs> what is this? And it's like, what? The greatest movie? And I was like eight years old, so I'm like, the greatest movie of all time is Jurassic Park. These guys don't know shit. All right. <laughs> There's no dinosaurs in this. There's no dinosaurs. Steven Spielberg didn't direct this. This is this is this is bullshit. Joey, don't swear. This is bullcrap. That's fine. I can guarantee eight-year-old Joey did not know any of those words. You know, um, but I watched it eventually on VHS. I think when I was in high school, Mm. you know, and it was the first time I watched it. I'm like, this was good, but I I I was like, it's well made. I, I guess. Did you not understand it necessarily? Maybe I guess not. But I, I definitely recognized it was a well-made, but there's also just so much that goes into it. And then I've seen it on Blu-ray so many times, and it's one of the few movies where my appreci- I, I have a different appreciation for it every time I watch it. Like, I, I catch yeah. things I didn't catch the last time, or, like, my interpretation on this movie has changed over the years as well. But I'll get into that later. But you have a history with this movie as well. <laughs> yeah, um, it took a very long time for me to actually watch it. Mm-hmm. Uh I, I would tell Joey often that I, I was cursed to never see Citizen Kane at any point in my life. Because I'd heard about it, obviously, because it has that, like I said, it has that title of being, quote unquote, the greatest movie of all time um, from a million different lists, which I think is just that is a whole conversation in itself, that whole concept of it. But um, obviously, there was a point in my life, and I think there's a point in a lot of people's lives that are getting into pop culture stuff, you want to look at what people consider the best of the best. Like, what should I look into? What should I check out if I want to get into X, Y, and Z? Um, And every time I ever looked up top 10 lists or, like, you know, looked up, like, what is the best movie ever, Citizen Kane was typically what popped up. And anytime I ever saw the opportunity to watch it, it, something came up or something happened. Like I would see it was on Turner Classic Movies, and I would click it on, and it was like in the middle of the movie. I'm like, no, <laughs> no, or like, um, I could like I could never find like a DVD or a VHS or a Blu-ray later. Like there was just no watching this movie for me. And even when I was in film theory class in college, obviously in a lot of college situations, if you're in a film class you'll watch Citizen Kane or you'll talk about Citizen Kane. Like, it's a sort of, like, standard curriculum stuff at this point. So the first movie we watched in film theory class was Citizen Kane, and I watched a good chunk of it, like, probably up to, like, the the bit when he talks to, um, like, not the main friend, but the the, the, the second friend that wore the glasses. Lee, um, uh, Bernstein. Bernstein. Yeah, that guy. Yeah, I got up to that point, and then we cut it off because we had to, like, do something else for the class. And, um, or, like, well, probably not because we had to watch the whole thing. I think I think the class just ended. I don't remember. But we got up to that point, and I missed the next day because I was sick. So uh... I, I never I never got to watch the rest of it. And then I told Joey about this. Here's the, here's the fun part. So I told Joey about this. I'm like, I think I'm cursed to never watch Citizen Kane. And then Joey's like... Excuse me. What? 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 What did you just say? I'm like, I I don't think I'm ever gonna watch Citizen Kane. He's like, What do you mean? I can't. Every time I try, and Joey's like, I got this. I got this. I have a bad. That's a bad habit on my end. <laughs> people say I've never done this. You know, I need to try doing this, and I'll go. I'll see what I can do about that. 
listen, it's how I went to Disney. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> and you know, I appreciate that. I, 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 to this to this day, anytime Joey says I'm going to Disney, I'm like, can I go? And he's like, yeah, I don't care. <laughs> so I, I literally, in, I, I might go in June. <laughs> I literally, I just invite myself, and I, I, I always feel like kind of weird after. I'm like, I don't think he wants me to. Why am I doing this? <laughs> <laughs> like, I would like to go, but I'm sure there's probably a day he's like, I'm just gonna go. <laughs> I'm just not gonna tell anybody. <laughs> like. God dang. But no, I back to Citizen Kane. Um <laughs> uh, we finally we finally sit down and watch it. I don't did I rent it or was did we watch it like a bootleg on YouTube or something? I don't remember. I think we rented it. Okay. Um, we rented it. Uh my phone just went off. Okay. Hold on. I I turn it on vibrate as I'm telling yep. the story. Um so we finally watch it and we're getting through it, and Joey's not to, not to like just you know complain about Joey or anything because I love Joey, but sometimes he does talk a lot during movies, <laughs> and so um, he's telling me like, oh, like check it out, like do you see the ceilings? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> he's like, they don't really don't do that in movies, and and uh, I was like, okay. <laughs> So he was telling me all these things, and a lot of the stuff is cool, like things to notice. Obviously, I think it was very important information. It's just the the awkwardness of just trying to watch the movie and then just getting like a like a commentary. But I, I, though, I, I feel like we do that to each other though sometimes. Yeah, no, no, I I I very much uh, throw myself into that category. I, I know as well. I'm very guilty of it though. I'm yeah. like the worst person. <laughs> like if you're watching something for for the first time. Don't watch it with me for the first time. Watch it like the second or third time, um, which is which is funny because it's kind of a lot of what this show is structured on is is me watching things for the first time. But <laughs> but it's very. I will say um, it doesn't make it like less fun. Um, it like it doesn't ruin the experience, you know. So I've had I've had a lot of good experiences watching stuff for the first time. So that's nice. Um, but this was this was a case where normally guys, normally everybody, we try to watch the movies together. Yes. Like even if we've seen them, we know we've seen them before. We'd like to try to watch the movies together. It doesn't always work, but nine times out of ten, we, we try do. to watch them. We we do watch them together. But this was a time where I was glad you watched it yourself and you could spend time with the movie. I did because the first time I watched it, I hated it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, not that I'm like in love with it now, but like, I, I the first time I watched it, I was like, "But what? What, what was the whole point of the sled then? Like, what? <laughs> like, yeah. why? Why go through that whole thing with with the stupid sled?" And then at the end, he's like, "It doesn't matter." And you're like, "What the hell?" <laughs> and so I was definitely like, and we joked about it a lot periodically as time went on. Like I would just be like, "You know, Citizen Kane, man." <laughs> if only it was a good movie. <laughs> um, but then I watched it again because it it came out on 4K with the Criterion Collection. Um, since they're starting to do 4K releases now, and uh, it was it was really the first time watching it that I was just it was just me and the movie, and um, I have some feelings, but I'm like you specifically. I know. Uh, anytime we talk about Kane, I know like you you have like a genuine enthusiasm for it, um, and you even just 
do like impressions of Orson Welles. So like it's something like in, like typically those impressions though are from the show The Critic, but it's still like I think it still factors in that like I think you are like a really big like Orson Welles guy. Orson Welles is just a really fascinating dude. Like, yeah. He's uh, he's the kind of guy where I would love to be just like an acquaintance of his. Like cuz <laughs> I feel like he has so many He's also probably one of the greatest like bullshitters ever. Mm-hmm. Like there's they tell stories because put it in perspective, Orson Welles, this dude, okay, he was like a force to be reckoned with on the stage. He did like um, before Citizen Kane, like in his early twenties, he did an all, he produced an all black um, version of Macbeth for the stage that got really like high praise back in the day. He was very famous for radio, and he did a lot of radio, like to the point where. He would work for different stations, so he would have it work out where he would get an ambulance, go into the ambulance, and they would drop him off at the other <laughs> next radio station that he would go to, <laughs> and, and basically, like, they he and he could get into characters like that, you know, and uh, just to put in perspective for this story, this was at a time where, like, playing other races and stuff was, like, socially, was more accepted back then by yeah. white people and all that, so... Like, he would get to the station, like, all right, what am I playing? And they're like, uh, 80-year-old uh, Chinese person. He's like, okay. And he would just do it. And he played, like, The Shadow. Um, yeah, obviously. We, we, we've talked about um, War of the Worlds. Infamously. Famous. Yeah. Um, very, very famous broadcast. And so this is the other thing with this uh, movie. This is put out by RKO. Uh, RKO was, it was one of the major studios back in the day. It's prob- It's most famous for this movie and King Kong, which are both yeah. technical, big technical movies. What are you going to say? I'm sorry. I was. I was gonna. I was gonna reference what Jack Black says in the King Kong remake, but I forgot what he said because you're like at RKO. Hmm. Those guys. <laughs> Cooper, huh? Co- Cooper, huh? <laughs> you could throw that in the edit. Cooper, whatever. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> that was literally all I was gonna do. Okay, um, but RKO, they decided Orson Welles had never really, really made a movie. Like, mm. he, he might have filmed, like, some shorts and, like, done some experimental stuff, but he never d- directed a feature film, so he did not know the rules of filmmaking. And um, this was his first, like, re- his real first, like, feature, which mm. makes this... I think that's part of the mystique of this, is if somebody else had made this as, like, their fifth feature or their 20th feature... I think it'd be recognized as a great movie, but this is a guy who we're, I'm 28 years old and yeah, I'm not, yeah. Even, I'm not going to utter, but, <laughs> but to put in perspective, Orson Welles was younger than I am now when he made Citizen Kane, which he wrote, he co-wrote, directed, produced, and was the leading man of, and he had um, complete creative control. That was the big thing. He had final yeah. cut. That that's what, um, which is a very did. hard thing to get, and especially for your first film. Like Christopher Nolan and people probably have a tough time doing that now. Like tough time doing that after so many movies. Yeah, you know what I mean. So that that was a big deal. But the the big thing, like this was the first movie because he didn't know the rules. Like he had somebody try to tell, like tell him what like what shot, what types of shots there were in movies. Um, Greg Toland. Greg Tolan, I'm sorry I'm boring you with this. It's all this no, is like uh, technical stuff. <laughs> no, no, it's just, like I said, I was exhausted from work. Yeah. But I'm here. Um, Citizen Kane. Here, and I appreciate that. But Greg oh, Tolan. Yes. Greg Tolan. He Greg was my Tolan. friend. 
<laughs> Greg Toland, um, who actually shares a shares the title card with Orson Welles on this movie for director. Because, um, well, he they have Welles as director, and then Greg Toland they have as the cinematographer, okay, director of photography on the same, which doesn't happen. Like if you watch a movie from back in the day, the director usually got their own like card, mm. but. Toland was instrumental in helping Wells understand what movies were. And Toland was just interested in just seeing this guy who knew nothing and was like, I, maybe I could learn something from this. Like, this would mm. be like a great experiment. Like, example, we're going to talk more about the in, inside of the movie, but like Orson Welles di was directing people to put where the lights were going, which yeah. typically is not the job of a director back then to do that. Okay. That was the director of photography's job, the cinematographer's job. And people were like, what the hell is going on with this? And Greg was like, no, no, I want to I see where he's going with this. I'm curious. <laughs> just, just, just let him go. Let him go. Let him go. Let him go. And I, that that's kind of the thing was like he, Orson Welles knew no rules. So he was sort of like, you could go whatever with this movie. Mm. Um, so, but what story does he tell for his first movie? Well. <laughs> so let, let, let us tell you. What is what what he's telling? Um, so basically, he tells the story of a guy named Charles Foster Kane or Charlie. <laughs> Charlie, I want to go to New York. Charlie, <laughs> Charlie, I'm tired of being here. Charlie, um, if, <laughs> if you get that reference, we love you. <laughs> um, so <laughs> Charles Foster Kane is this. Um, eccentric rich newspaper tycoon who um basically created this whole um like huge like presence for himself and like this whole reputation like as um initially when he was younger being like sort of i guess you could say liberal um newspaper like going after like big figures in the world using his wealth in that way and then he uh started to try and run for a political office. Um, but then there was a scandal didn't work out. Um, and it's basically like kind of like a, like a secondhand account of this dude's life. Cause at the, at the start of it, he's dead. Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, they're talking about his final words, which is the word rosebud, which, uh, you know, it's like an iconic thing in, in just movie culture in general. Um, and basically, they're trying to figure out what Rosebud means. So these guys, these uh, newspaper guys, these journalists and these archivists, all these different people are talking to people in Kane's life, his wives, his business partners, his friends, and all these different people, people that loved him, people that didn't like him, um, and asking him who he was, but more specifically, what is Rosebud? And um, so that's kind of, and so we get this sort of picture of who he was from the account of all these different people. Um, that he was maybe at a younger age more spiteful, more vocal and opinionated and wanting to, to do things for the working class, even though he was sort of a, a man of privilege, not sort of actually a man of privilege. And then he just sort of, as it went on, became sort of a miser, like sort of just like a lonely rich dude in a house that was too big for him um, with no one to hang out with him and no one to really want to be around him. And so uh, we never really find out, or at least they don't ever really find out what Rosebud is or what it means. But we do as an audience. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's more or less everything that happens in the movie, to my knowledge. And what I love, I love how the movie opens. Because you, you open with, like, the, the, the shots of, like, obviously when he, he dies. 
Obviously, uh-huh. we get to Xanadu and all that. Um, but also, we get a newsreel that opens it. News on the march! And, is that what it is? Um, news on the march, yes. And um, it tells us the whole story of his life. Like, the major... like It's the spark notes of his life. Mm-hmm. But, you know, sometimes, like, those big moments... Yeah, they're important, but, you know, it's not the same, not nearly the same thing as knowing him personally. Yeah. And uh, this is where the movie goes to, so we have, you know, like the main character, not the main character, but the guy who's basically our... um, The guy taking us on this journey. He's interviewing and seeking out information from different people in Kane's life, Mm -hmm. essentially. Um, So, And this this includes um, the written archives of his guardian... Um, Thatcher, uh, his, his second ex, his second ex-wife, Susan Alexander, um, one of his, one of his former best friend, his, some of his former friends, Bernstein and Leland, and then his butler, uh, <laughs> just the last guy, just his butler, last guy who's creepy and memorable. <laughs> he is a little, he's a little creepy. My dog's barking again. His dog's she, chiming she, in about she, Citizen Kane. She, you know, if this was later, it could have been chimes at midnight. Anyway, um, uh, <laughs> so it, it it's, goes through all these things, but like basically what we learn about Kane through all these stories is that he was a, he was a happy little boy, or at least he was a, a ignorant happy little boy that just liked to go out in the snow on his sled, uh, building snowmen, um, and what we learn is that uh his home life isn't necessarily as great as we initially think because his i assume his his father specifically was abusive mm-hmm. and his mother is trying to get him out of that and the best way she can figure is to give to give him a new guardian um, which they're able to do through like some legal stuff and specifically because they struck uh they some, struck rich they stuck they, they got they got money mm-hmm. they, they got that green now and so um it was held. Uh, the money was held onto until Cain was twenty-five, and when that time happened, he was able to get his money. But he was more focused on wanting to buy um, the the New York Chronicle. Was it? It was. Um, or no, was no, the, no. Um, well, the Chronicle was the the the, the competition. Right. Inquirer. Uh, Inquirer. Yes. Yes. Um, no, but like he was, he was more interested in running a newspaper. Um, yeah. You know, because. He thought it would be kind of fun. Like, I, I just love that. I think it would be fun to run a newspaper. Ah. <laughs> and I like he just invades this, like, this newspaper and, like, this dude with, like, a comb over and tiny yes. glasses. Mm-hmm. Um, he's like, this is going to be my office. This is where I'm going to sleep. And you're going to be, are you okay with that? He's like, well, um, I, uh, go take the bed in there, would you please? Thank you. Uh, thank you. Uh, nice meeting you, sir. Have a good day. <laughs> no, the be- the best is his intro is his introduction as like a young man, where where like you know it's Thatcher reading all this stuff about Kane, and then the newspaper reveals him ultimately, and he's like <laughs> drinking coffee. <laughs> he he looks he's just like like oh, this is my guardian, Mister. Th- this is my ex guardian, Mister Thatcher. <laughs> hey, say hello to my ex guardian. <laughs> oh man, he's an int- yeah he's an interesting. Young fellow, wasn't he? <laughs> uh, he was. He was different things to different people, but ultimately, u- ultimately, there's there's a lot you can unpack with this character. But I think one of the big things is, as they said, he wanted love, 
on his he wanted love on his terms basically which you know has its has its uh issues you know yes. there's controlling you know in there um those kind of relationships don't t- typically ever work out um honestly at all um and so obviously he he dies alone and sad it's i mean it's a story of a rich guy who gets everything more or less that he wants but not the one thing he needs which is love but he wants it on his terms and you know that's that's, that's not how it works that's not how it works, not how it works. There's, there's also just so many like one thing i appreciate to repeat viewings is just like how he's sort of like taken away from his home like mm. things are like things are taken away from him like through forces that are not his own like um when he's a child obviously his the guardianship is transferred you know and he's mm. in the distance playing in the snow that deep it's deep focus which is one, one of the things this movie's famous for and you could see him pretty clearly but he's not he has no control or years later where he has to sell off assets to maintain wealth and he's mm-hmm. in the distance he's look he looks small in the distance and i i also sort of rhymes too when he was going to check on his mother's holdings you know because i think she had passed at that point but he's lured in with uh susan alexander so it's like these constant like things where he's he's taken away from home or things are taken away from him through external it's, forces and other it's, things. It's like um a rich guy version of George Bailey. <laughs> in a weird way. Except you can you care a little bit more about George Bailey, at least I think I do. George Bailey is is it's easy to care for George Bailey. Like yeah. you know, this movie doesn't ask you to to love um this movie doesn't ask you to love Charles Foster Kane. It's just it just shows you this is this is this guy, you yeah. Know? And and he's pretty, and in a lot of areas he's despicable. Like even when he's a, when you think he's a young idealist, sometimes that interpretation's not always accurate. Like no. Peter Peter Bogdanovich talked about this because he, uh, you know, film historian and and um, filmmaker himself. He talked to Wells about this uh, the scene where he's like talking talk about the Declaration of Principles. And he's like. Yeah, I, n- I never thought your acting in that scene was all that convincing. And, he, and Wells is like, because in my interpretation of the scene is, uh, you know, uh, Kane is full of shit, even at that point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was kind of my big takeaway through the whole thing was like, I'm watching the movie and I'm I'm understanding wholeheartedly why this is as important and as beloved as it is, right? I'm watching... Like, you know, obviously the cinematography and then obviously the concept of the fact this is this dude's first movie, a guy that never really knew anything about movie making, making this as his first movie. And it makes sense, you know, having this be the first movie you watch in school, you know, it's like, well, if this guy made this without knowing anything, you know, mm-hmm. you know, you know a little bit, you probably would make something even better your first try. So, you know, go for it. It's like a motivational thing, potentially. Um... And even just like I can definitely watch it and appreciate how great like the cinematography is and the lighting choices and um, just all the different things and tricks and stuff that they do. But I'm watching it and I'm like, I just don't think I care enough about a rich white dude like <laughs> like and having all these things happen to him. It's not like it's not that I like him or dislike him. It's, that it's just like, yeah, it's it's like, what's the point? It's hard for yeah. you to emotionally connect because, like, I think about that with um, the AFI's list of the, their greatest American films. Like, two and three are, like, Godfather and Casablanca, which are movies where people love the characters, you know, even if some of them are despicable. 
And yeah. this movie, it's it doesn't... I don't want to say it doesn't have that because I do. I think a number of there's a gr- number of great performances in this movie. Of like, no, yeah, I that's the, I, I everyone's great. Of, I love the character of Leland, but it certainly it does have that emotional. There is a little bit of an emotional disconnect. Um, yeah, and I mean we've we've talked a little bit too about like the whole idea of like like especially with all the Batman movies we've talked about the idea of like sort of like the fantasy version of the rich guy, and we and you know obviously this day and age we think more about rich people and everything going on in the world and stuff. And so maybe that could also have an influence in it. So I'm watching this movie. Um, and all I can think of is our former president, <laughs> which listen, that like, has its own kind of ta- like history listen, and everything there. And it's funny because he, he has claimed that that is his fa- Donald Trump has claimed that that is his favorite movie. This and that, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And this, this movie has so many, it, I think that's the other thing I hate to say that this movie holds up or this movie is more relevant today, but it's like, yeah. this guy, it feels like, like it. Uh, this, this is a guy who picks up like politics as a hobby, you know? Yes. He does, everything that he does is a hobby. He's trying to get somebody's approval. I think about that with um, with the second wife, Susan Alexander, where he they're like, oh, what are you guys going to do next? He says, we're going to be a great opera star. He doesn't say she's going to be a great opera star or I'm going to make her a great opera star. He says, we're going to be a great opera star. Like, it's like, you know, this is like more of something that he wants to do. And he takes it to the nth level. He spends three million millions of dollars making the opera house and so much untold money on singing lessons. Um even you know. even to the point where like the actual show happens and people are bored and like he just that clap the iconic like clap thing that he does, yes. he just stands up and it's very awkward and like he just kind of stops and sits back yes. down, mm-hmm. like just to like keep himself in this bubble that I feel like a lot of people. I mean, I think everybody has a bubble of like a fantasy bubble that they sort of put themselves in sometimes, but mm-hmm. like with rich people, I'd imagine it's you know, more prominent because they just maybe not to say this is every rich person, but like, um, you, you, it's easy to assume that a lot of rich people don't understand what it's like to be like a working class person. And it doesn't help when you have like so many rich people who it's a a president even that's like, you know, I, I, I got a small loan of a million dollars and it's like, and that makes you working class. That makes you blue collar. Yeah. Or like even in like because we we're I was watching Knives Out and I and I remember like uh, Jamie Lee Curtis's character like I started my own company from the ground up and you hear Chris Evans going <laughs> she got she started her company with a small load for my grandfather yeah <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like yeah and that's I guess that affects it I was telling it's funny too because I was telling Joey maybe if he had like a bat costume <laughs> I would probably be more more okay with Charles Foster K just because like I think that's the only rich guy or like some of the, like a rich guy that's a superhero I guess is what I'm okay with I don't know I need to watch yeah. uh, maybe some other things right. um but it's just it was just kind of fun but I can see the influence because obviously that influenced that character to a certain degree later on in, in his like fictional life yeah, and you can't help but look at Xanadu and think of like Wayne Manor no you know you can't <laughs> Like even just uh, the opening bit in Batman Returns starts off with a cobble pot C, and then it goes into like a big old like haunted mansion looking thing. <laughs> um, but now it makes me wonder: what if Charles Foster Kane had a kid, and the kid had webbed fingers and a pointy nose? <laughs> 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 but 
no it's just it was just I, there was a lot that went through my mind as i was watching it and obviously it's like it felt sort of hypocritical and ironic that i just felt that way even though like i have a damn batman poster on my wall mm. <laughs> so, you know so it's just it's sort of a weird thought to be like you know i just don't know if i care that much about this dude and his woes necessarily i mean I, i'm sad like when he was a kid is when i cared the most because obviously he's just a kid and he has to live a crappy life and all he wants to do is ride his damn sled and have a good right. time um with with rosebud the sled spoiler alert um <laughs> i don't know did we mention the sled was rosebud I don't think we did. Which, no. I mean, kudos to us for going like almost 45 minutes. <laughs> without mentioning not, the sled. <laughs> without mentioning the thing that everybody... Ev- okay, this is my big thing. All right, go and for it. This this is me calling out anybody who's a CinemaSins fan who just thinks that they're really smart. Rosebud's the sled. <laughs> Rose it doesn't... And nobody... And they're like, oh, nobody heard. Nobody was in the room to hear Rosebud. And they think they're so smart for pointing out a fucking plot hole. Um... <laughs> Yeah, and I'm just gonna say this to you: You're what's wrong with movies, okay? <laughs> and I, I will not apologize for that. But I'm gonna keep going. Rosebud is 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 both a, a MacGuffin and also something that says it all. The sled is like the representation of like something that was, I guess you could say, it was taken from him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is, and yeah. you think, and, and everybody in the movie, th- like, because everybody's trying to figure out what the hell Rosebud means, and and they burn it. They burn it, but also, I mean, there's so many ways you could look at it. You could look at it as, like, you have, like, the loss of innocence, the loss of childhood, mm-hmm. things being forcibly taken away from you against your will. Like, even the rich and powerful, you know, they don't have everything under control, necessarily. Um, but also, too, that one word doesn't always sum up somebody's life. Nope. Like, listen, like, I could say, you're, like, because somebody's last words can sometimes be really trivial, too. Yeah, you know what I mean, and also like think about like this, right? Like you said, uh, Richard's last words, Batman. Okay, <laughs> that has a lot to do with I, you. I would hope, uh, admittedly, I would hope that my last words were a little bit better than something so obvious. That, but that's uh, listen, yeah. like, but I don't have a choice. I'm gonna die. It's just, you're dead. It's just gonna happen. At that point, um, I'll say but, Joseph Paul D'Angelo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> dead <laughs> it's, it's like uh you just must have been must have meant nothing and they just throw me in <laughs> did you kill him was it it's like no he died of natural causes i'm an 85 year old man leave me alone <laughs> um yeah i mean rose but listen it's like it's such a weird thing because i think i i feel bad for people who've never seen citizen kane Mm. And they, they just get that fa- either that Family Guy clip or some guy just ruins it completely. Like, yeah, it's just like it's just a sled, and it's like that is true, but doesn't scratch the surface and ignores theme and character and just anything that makes a good movie. It's it's know. the whole it's the whole argument, and I've said this before. Like, watch it before, like, because obviously, so many people rather watch the reviews or watch. You know, fucking yeah. cinema sins, which is garbage, as I've mentioned clearly many a times on the show. Fuck cinema sins. Um, <laughs> uh, but at the end of the day, like, if you're gonna formulate an opinion on something, just watch it first, experience it. That's why. That's why I've. That's why I'm so adamant about like, I, I if if there's something I've never seen, I'll have a feeling based on maybe stuff I've seen. But like, I I don't feel like it's right or 
like ethical necessarily or i don't know um, it's not fair it's, it's not, not fair, fair. No. no no like because I, I could say like the transformers movies i can only give an opinion on the ones that i've seen yes exactly you yeah. know or um that's why listen like i love that you don't love this movie like you know and i think it just it adds to the conversation but also it's like i'm glad you saw it because honestly, like, I don't, because people can see what they want to see, right? Yeah. That's fine. But I think I do, I think personally, I just genuinely believe you have to see this movie once if you are a movie fan of any sort. Mm. Because even if you, even if you despise it, because there's so many things we take, we take for granted today. And so many things that are special effects that you don't, you don't even think about. And like, like I'm just waiting, I'm just waiting for the nostalgia movie to come out mank is the closest we'll probably get to like the citizen kane nostalgia movie you know what i mean right. like we got to do it like how they did it back in the day let's just let's just do citizen kane again like no 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 again idea what about about the that herman guy mankowitz let's make a movie about that guy yeah we'll, we'll get david fincher who s- cinematography is literally taken from orson wells in like every movie he's done but <laughs> it will work i promise you but obviously, like, you think about, like, it has elements of film noir in this movie mm-hmm. with the use of shadows, the, you know, the camera, like, your your way the camera is positioned, obviously. Um, I do, I, I mean, I know I, I know your thoughts on the movie, but, like, are there, are there scenes for you that are memorable? Or what are some scenes for you that stick out? I have a few that I want to talk about, but I'm very curious on your end. Like, mo- like... There was some like visual cues that always stuck out to me. Like I always remember in the op- like the one of the first things is when they're in the projection room and the one guy that's like trying to, you know, give the guys the job of finding out what Rosebud is is standing in front of the projector and you see the light coming off the side of it. I always thought that was a really cool shot. Or like it's it's funny cuz like obviously we, you know everyone talks about like seeing the ceilings but I always loved when like characters enter these like huge cathedral like like when Saint, when Kane's walking through Xanadu and it's so empty and just so large, like yeah. the set the set design is just kind of immaculate, or like when uh, they go to read Thatcher's will or his like books or whatever, and it's like locked away in literally like a fucking castle <laughs> or like a church yeah. almost, and it's just a one beam of light is on the table, and it's just kind of like what. Like, like they, they present this whole thing as, like, almost like a fantasy to a certain degree. Like, the way everything's shot. Like, I almost I almost feel like I watch it and it feels like a dream a little bit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just the way everything's set up in the cinematography, the set design. Um, and, I, and it makes sense given that Wells has that theatrical background. Mm-hmm. So, Absolutely. I mean... So, I mean, and to, to a certain degree, maybe that could throw someone off, like, oh, is this, like, a dream sequence or not? But, like... It's not too much, so that's nice, but um, it's very big, I guess you could say, and that's kind of what I appreciated about it. It's just, it's like shots and little little things here and there, and even just Wells, I mean, obviously, you know, he did radio, but like, he's got a great voice, like, no question, no question about that. Can I just say, he is so good at playing the different ages of Kane. He is actually. I actually, yeah, I agree with that. It's kind of it's a remarkable performance. Also, got to give credit to the makeup team on that. Um, I mean, for Mm -hmm. makeup in 1941, that was like to make him look like an elderly man in some of those scenes, and just the different phases (laughs) of his life. The funniest one, though, admit just just a slightly funny thing was um, when 
we have that montage where he's eating dinner with his first wife and it like she, she says something and then at one point he's just like yeah yeah he's just making like, that classic like orson welles face that everyone thinks of just <laughs> it's the funniest thing it's like because i want it to be that's one of my that's one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie actually is their deterioration of their marriage <laughs> and it just, uh, it, just it just fades into like it's like it, it and it's it's like quickly you show the span of a couple years you know it starts out it's like oh this is so nice and it's just like people will think what i tell them to think exactly exactly the best line the the best line is, is where it's just like because her father is the, her, not father her uncle is the president and it's just like um <laughs> <laughs> i'm just like i don't want to ruin it for anybody but it's just such a funny it's such a funny bit um mm. you know uh but i want to just point out a few things unless there is there any other like notable things that you want to um, um mention not well there is one thing but i think i'm going to save it for later the whole like the whole title thing that the movie has okay yeah. um so i want to uh few things i want to i want to point out too like because you were talking about the big open space like spaces like the emptiness mm -hmm. of xanadu but also at the end of the movie you have all that stuff all that yeah. crap lying around in xanadu a lot of that was achieved through matte paintings and um i don't know if you watched the bonus feature where it's uh craig baron and ben burt talking about the visuals and the audio effects in citizen kane i don't know i watched the one that you told me to watch yeah that's fine. we'll get to that <laughs> but but this one is about like the special effects and all that and they t Craig Barron talks about the map, like how Spielberg wanted like a map painting in Raiders that was kind of like the one in Kane. So at the very end of Raiders, when they like the famous scene where they put the crate with the Ark of the Covenant, top men, top yeah. men, you know, and like you hear the music that that was very much inspired by Kane, you know. Okay, that's it was cool. It, it was you know it's a movie made like forty years after Kane, so it shows like these techniques are st were still like incredibly influential and you know all that but also just so many visual things in this movie obviously that they just communicate just the, i think about the scene where he's giving his campaign speech and you see the audience it's a, it's, a, it's a very iconic moment it feels like like just just obviously like it does kind of make me think of timothy dalton a little bit mm -hmm. like in uh hot fuzz feel yes. free to spool through <laughs> <laughs> you know but yes. like how big that that room is and um just the big old poster of him and just like it feels it again it's the theatricality of it i think that the i appreciate theatricality, the most and i love um where like gettys is up in the in up in the wings looking mm. down jim w gettys <laughs> thing with the actors most of these actors never acted in a movie before because it was like his theater company or whatever right it, it, the mercury mercury theater like the radio a lot of them radio people um, yeah. A few people I, I want to know. Everett Sloan, who plays Bernstein, um, you know, the guy with the glasses. And yeah. he is, I love the scene where he talks about, like, like just me certain memories you just that stick with you, even if they don't feel significant. Like, he talks about the girl in the white dress with, like, the parasol. Mm -hmm. And he says, you know, it was a brief, I maybe saw her for, like, a few seconds, but there's not a day that goes by where I don't think of her. And just, you know, I feel like that's, like, that is a nice encapsulation of, like, sort of maybe what Rosebud could mean. Um, I love Joseph Cotton. I think he's a terrific actor. Leland? He plays Le Leland. Leland. I think he is, I think as far as, like, he is so good. Um, he's one of the few people who's able to, like, who stands up to Kane, like, after the election stuff happens. 
Mm. And, you know, y'all talk all this talk about, like, you know, fighting for the will of the people, you know. And then <laughs> where he's watching the opera and he's, like, playing around with the program. That was funny. He's, I actually laughed too, at that a lot. He's too drunk. And then Kane types the review. <laughs> <laughs> like, Leland. Just sitting at the typewriter. Leland. Or what? what's his first name? Jed Lee. Jed Lee. Uh, Jed Lee Lind. Jed Lee Lind. Jed. I'm writing your review. How it was intended. Oh, yes. <laughs> but And that, that's crazy. That shot is like, it's an optically printed shot where they did it. Like, they couldn't do the deep focus with that one for some reason. So they shot um, Joseph Cotton at one time. And they had uh, Orson Welles. And it, it, it's such a crazy, like, mind-blowing Mm-hmm. Um, mind-blowing moment um but there's so many i think about uh, agnes moorhead i want to mention she plays kane's mom and she only appears like in one scene but she's terrific and i think she's one of the more emotional things of the movie where like letting go of kane is such a devastating thing and it's even more devastating for us because we never see her again we nope. never see them reunite again and the next time we see her is in a picture next to all the stuff that, that from wells's life where she's with him as a boy and that's it you know, and it makes and it makes it for me watching a repeat viewings makes that scene even more devastating. Right, she's ter- yeah. she's terrific. Um, she's also in his second movie, um, Magnificent Ambersons, which also has Joseph Cotton and a number of these um, number of these folks, and she's very good in that movie as well. Nice, nice, yeah, nice. <laughs> <laughs> I know this went on probably longer than you had, had wanted. No, it to. I was, I was, I was like. What the more the more we were going on, the more I was like, "Yeah, this makes sense." <laughs> <laughs> no, because we haven't even talked about William Randolph Hearst, like who, who's the dude where like a lot of this stuff is based off of. Who's a real mm. person, a real newspaper guy? There's so many parallels. Like he had the statues. His San Simeon was like the real life uh, Xanadu. I'm not gonna get too much into that. You can look it up. It's also talked about in Mank. As well, you can check that out. On I Netflix. do remember those bits, yeah. So I remember we uh, did we talk about Mank a little bit when we watched it because I remember we both watched it and then I think we might have talked about it a little bit on an episode. We, we might have. So it came out yeah. last year, like Christmas time ish, like, I think. Yeah, right. like maybe October, November. It's like a fall, fallish. Uh, yeah, it's definitely like a fall Oscar kind of movie. Yeah. Uh, was there one Kane. thing? Yeah, was there one thing you wanted to mention? You were saying before. Oh, uh, that's I'm gonna do that later. Oh, even later. So like, like at the later? very end, because it's like this the whole concept that's in my brain. It's okay. the very end. Um, I think is this is this deal with the subject of like crowning something the greatest movie of all time? Yeah. Okay, I won't yeah. mention that then. Um, <laughs> Citizen Kane. Listen, um, I don't want to tell people what to do. You know, we just talk about movies on here. We we're not if controlling you, like some people, Kane. We're not, we're not, uh, Kane, but, you know. If, They'll do um, what we tell them to do, because we're the dudes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, We've just hit the hour mark, and I'm not surprised at all. I'm not surprised at all, but it'll, no. it'll we'll, we'll be able to shrink it down a little bit, but... Citizen Kane, it's a very important movie, okay? Even if you don't consider it the greatest movie of all time, it's got to be on the list of movies you should see if you're mm-hmm. a movie fan a movie scholar filmmaker all that stuff like it, it in one way or another it has influenced or unintentionally influenced a filmmaker that you you admire on some level 
it's i mean it makes sense again that it's one of those movies that you watch when you're in film school because again it's it's the whole story behind it but also just watching it you kind of see you know in, in a weird way you can almost argue that it could have had like some somewhat of like a dune effect watching it because you know if you've seen all these other movies then you go back and watch kane which influenced all these other movies you're like oh this is where i've seen all this from you know what i mean um so uh it's it's definitely worth seeing because you know i think it's the case with any movie it's just you know if there's movies you love it's always worth seeing where the influences come from Yes. You know, even if there's like it's just a piece of art that you love. Like I'm, I'm a huge fan of uh, 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 what what is it called? It's called Danger Days. It's an album by My Chemical Romance, and a lot of the influence came from stuff like Akira or Mad Max, and that's how from liking that and enjoying that album and that music and the sort of art and iconography of that, it led me to check out things like Mad Max and Akira and all those other things. So I'm just saying it's worth it to to bother to go down the rabbit hole because you might find something new and you might find something you like or you might be able to appreciate what you like more when you see the influences absolutely i agree with that 110 percent um we're gonna take a brief um brief intermission when we come back oh, we're gonna talk oh about gosh. Some... joey oh gosh are you skipping <laughs> oh gosh joey i'm getting oh, oh, i just looked down wait. i just looked down joey oh god Richard, don't, 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 don't look down, please. I already looked down. Folk, folk, oh folks. God, this is, folks. This is just, this is acting. This is what the <laughs> radio actors. <laughs> this is not real. Richard does not suffer from the title, uh, uh, or at least at this point, anyway. He does not suffer. <laughs> in this instance, he is not suffering from the Alfred Hitchcock movie we're going to talk about after the break. Stay tuned. I'm gonna fall. No. <laughs> Welcome back to Two Dudes, One Double Feature in our last segment. We were talking about, quote, unquote, the greatest movie of all time. Um, and now we're going to be talking about, quote, unquote, the greatest movie of all time as well. And that is the Alfred Hitchcock directed film. What year did this come out? 1958, I believe. The 1958 Alfred Hitchcock directed film Vertigo. Which again, I was I I wasn't actually looking down at anything. I'm I'm on the floor. I'm on the second floor of my house. This is about as high as I'm at right now. But I I was not actually. I'm good. Gotcha. Well, that's just so you know. All right. Okay. <laughs> okay. Just so you know. <laughs> I know Joey was freaking out a little bit, but it's fine. 
is fine. He's, he's okay. Our, our friend here is a okay. So Vertigo, Vertigo. This one I remember watching um, on DVD and thinking it was good. And that's it. That's it. And then, so when when it, when in uh, 2012 it dethroned Citizen Kane on Sight and Sound's list after decades of being basically unchallenged. People, a lot of people were confused, and they were like, "What is this? What?" And it had a lot of controversy surrounding it. That Citizen Kane was technically no longer the greatest movie of all time. What a weird notion. You know, like that's that this climate we live in of like nerds and like movie fans and stuff. It's just the things that are controversial. The fact that we have to like, you know, put a disclaimer on our own opinions you know, half the time. Like, listen, if you like this, it's perfectly fine. We have no beef with you. We just don't particularly care for it. It's fine. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like what, what, what's so controversial about some person just going, you know what? I think I've seen, I think I've seen Citizen Kane enough. You know what I actually really like right now? Vertigo. <laughs> and then someone going, excuse me? Huh? It's such a weird, it's a, it's so weird. I don't know, it's that weird statistic, like, Rotten Tomato mindset everyone has. Yeah, people are, people are very concerned about what you score something on Letterboxd, how you score it on IMDb, what's on the IMDb Top 250, what isn't on there. It's just a weird, weird, weird thing. Um, but, I mean, if you ask me which one I liked more, I would probably say Vertigo. But, um, I think it's just because it's more in line with the kind of stuff that I like. Not that Citizen Kane isn't. Like, it's funny because, like, I think between the two of them, um, they they do share a lot of similarities in some to a certain degree. Especially, like, when it comes to happiness through control. I think is a sort of similarity they both share. Mm -hmm. But, uh, um... But as far as, like, you know, the types of movies that they are, I mean, obviously they're both visually stunning for different reasons. Um, and they're both uh, very interesting. Like, they, they look at a, a character in an interesting way, but, like, Vertigo is more, like, it more kind of leans into its, like, genre trappings, whereas, like, I would look at Citizen Kane in the same light I look at, like, a lot of prestigious, like, Oscar movies. Because mm. I feel like... They like say for maybe the theatricality. I think a lot of Oscar movies tend to like, or at least the ones that the Academy likes, mm -hmm. tend to lead towards like the kind of movies like the character study type stuff. Yeah, yeah, and, and it's interesting you say that too because Citizen Kane it only picked up one Oscar, but it was nominated for Best Picture. Um, yeah, in the forties, this movie. What's interesting about Vertigo is that Vertigo got mixed reviews when it came out, and it was one like there's so many great movies. It got reappraised. And people were like, you know what? This is actually pretty great. Yeah. Like, what What were we thinking? <laughs> what, what's going on here? That's also... I've always found that to be like... Not to... not Sorry to cut no, you no. off, but like... Um, I've always found that to be such an interesting thing. And that's why I like... That's another reason why I like to just kind of tr try and watch everything. Because sometimes, like, even if you initially don't like something, you never know. Like, down the line, you might sort of reappreciate it somehow. Like, like even like the like the Joel Schumacher Batman movies, and not even just because like I know there's probably that initial stigma because he passed away last year, but at the same time, you know, times change, 
aesthetics change, things change, feelings change. And sometimes you might go back and watch something you might not initially like and go, you know what? That's actually pretty good. Yeah. So I think it's always been an interesting... That's I like that more than I like the controversy of, uh, what? Citizen Kane's not number one anymore? <laughs> Who did that? I'm gonna beat him up. It's like a bunch of the world's most respected critics did that. What? I'm gonna beat him up. Oh, man. <laughs> Folks, uh, if you're listening to this and you did vote for Vertigo as number one, we do not want to do that to you. This is Richard playing. I'm gonna beat him up. Richard is playing a farcical uh, character. My name is Dylan Sandison. Yeah, please don't take him seriously. I do not take him seriously. And I'm gonna beat him up. Forty percent of the time on this program. Dylan Sandison. That's D. Dylan. Man. <laughs> this is the days when Joey's like, why am I doing this? Well, let's talk let's get let's get into Vertigo a bit. Um Vertigo, Vertigo. So, Alfred Hitchcock. Okay, th- this is the first Hitchcock movie we talked about, right? It is. That's weird. It's so weird. This is the That's that's it's strange how long it's taken us, honestly. I would argue like Steven Spielberg for maybe modern people is like maybe the greatest like Funny enough, like I know I Tell me if I'm wrong, but I feel like, like obviously, I think you were going to say that Spielberg might be considered like the best quote unquote director of like our generation because of like Jurassic Park and all that stuff. I would definitely agree with that, but like, um, actually, no, I just straight agree with it. But, um, I remember like when I was getting into movies, I think, or like even before I was getting into movies, I heard of Alfred Hitchcock. Yeah. Because he was like, he was like the other guy. Like, it was before I even heard of Kubrick or Wells, or um, even Fellini later on, like all these other like major directors that especially filmic, more filmic people really like. Um, I always heard of Hitchcock. Yeah. And a lot of it was just like the silhouette. Obviously, the look of him is very iconic. But also, I remember um, I had a VHS copy of Bride of Chucky, which is a Universal movie. So um, Universal owns the rights to a lot of Hitchcock stuff. And whenever uh, Universal would release their horror stuff, so, like, you know, the Chucky movies or even, like, uh, maybe Van Helsing or anything like that, they'd always play this, like, commercial for, like, um, like Universal horror movies. And you'd see all these clips from different Hitchcock movies. And that's where I learned of Hitchcock was, like, seeing, like, still images and shots and stuff from Vertigo or stuff... Uh, from all these different things. Like, I always remember, like, the one thing... This is this is a Scorsese movie when I say this, but, like, I always remember the one thing was uh, the bit in Cape Fear when De Niro goes, come out, come out, wherever you are. And then, like, goes to a scream. And then it's just, like, all this weird montage stuff. And then, like, I remember seeing the bit when Jimmy Stewart's hanging off the, the rafters mm. of the building and then you see someone fall. Right. And so that was the first time... It was weird to think, but it's the first time I ever heard of Hitchcock was a commercial on a VHS yeah, I think for me it was an, like another VHS thing where I would I remember there's like the Universal like promotional tape for their parks, and they had like an Alfred Hitchcock mm-hmm. like making of movies. Like I forgot what the exact name of the attraction is called. I'm sure somebody's going to correct me. I know Feehan probably will. Um, where it, it's like they talk about like the making of Psycho and stuff like that, and I heard about him through that's cool through there, and I think I think he is like people call him the master of suspense. Um, one thing I also recommend to people is he did a series of interviews with Francois Truffaut, uh, Francois Truffaut being another one of the most famous filmmakers, um, one of the greatest directors of all time. 
he inter- he was interviewed he interviewed Hitchcock and, and Hitchcock talked about his techniques, um, and they're they're like a bunch of like um, blurbs of them are scattered across different Blu-rays. So you know if you ever mm-hmm. want to check them out, they're definitely scattered across. I think there's a book with all that stuff too that is I know in a lot of classes like required reading for like film school stuff. Um, are those conversations? Yeah, like Hitch because Hitchcock. Like, as much as I say Citizen Kane itself is an important film, I think as far as directors, Hitchcock might arguably be the most important because there are so many just basic, there's just so many basic things that he does, but also just because as he's an auteur filmmaker, there's so many of his films Mm -hmm. have like similar themes, like the wrong man subplot, you got blondes, you have obsession, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Hitchcock always has his famous cameos um, in his in his movies, so he's always he's always there on some level. He, like he was the he was Stan Lee before Stan Lee, you know. St- Stan Lee is our a is, is our day and age uh, Hitchcock, basically. Yeah, pretty um, much. Um, what do you do? You, do you remember the first Hitchcock movie you ever watched? The Birds. The Birds. Really? Yes. I so I think people would consider that to be like in a sense lesser Hitchcock, but it's one of those films where. I think about some movies of Steven Spielberg, again, bringing up Steven Spielberg, I think about The Lost World, mm. right? And I think The Lost World's a pretty good movie, but I think if somebody anybody else made it, it'd be dog shit. Whereas The Birds, yeah. I feel like the same way. It's not the most particularly interesting movie. It's I don't like it. I don't really care for any of the characters. My mom likes it because, you know, the, the uh, Tippy Hedron on the boat is always is nice. <laughs> but it's like because Hitchcock made it, and it's it's got that craft and just... He knows what the hell he's doing. It, it ends up being a better movie than what it might have otherwise have been. And then I think my second one was Psycho, um, which I think if I uh, just a brief my, my my top three Hitchcock in no particular order would be like Rear Window, Vertigo, and and Psycho would be like my three. I think that's a pretty solid, you know, pretty solid pick. Jimmy Stewart all around. Jimmy Stewart except for one. Jimmy, Jimmy Stewart and a couple of them. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Jimmy Stewart and Jamie Lee's mom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um so let's get let's get into Vertigo a bit more. Um so Hitchcock was doing like a bunch of like bit like Technicolor movies like at this point in the 50s, you know. Again, I mentioned Rear Window. Also North North by Northwest should not be ignored. That's also a great movie. Um Maybe we'll be talking about that one soon. Uh, uh, spoiler alert! We, we definitely will be, but anyway, um, <laughs> you just really want to get to the movie. I'm sorry. I'm sorry no, for it, the distractions. No, no, it's okay. It's okay. I think some. I like to think lack of laughs lives for this kind of thing. <laughs> let's still, listen. Lack of laughs is who we're pandering to. This now. Is, we don't care about anyone. That else. is our target demo. <laughs> but anyway, it's lack of laughs. Anyway, go ahead, go ahead. So, yeah, talk about Vertigo. Um, Vertigo is it, 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 it. This is a wild movie. Buckle up, folks. So, <laughs> jo- John John Ferguson, Scotty. Uh, Scotty, depending on how you know him, you know, or Mister Ferguson, you know, he used to be with the police, um, and then it, he gets into an accident where he he develop he he has the uh, you know acrophobia. Fear of heights causes vertigo, and then because of because of this this horrible this this horrendous condition, um, it, it you know one of his his partners like tries to save him 
but he dies in the process. He falls to his death. And, you know, after that, after that horrific incident, um, Scotty goes to an old college, an old buddy of his. Okay. And that old buddy is very concerned about his wife. My wife concerns me. He's like, my wife's a little weird lately. Can you just, can you just follow her? I think, you know, because I think something's off with my wife. Something, something's a little, little something's a little spooky. Um, you know, but so he follows her. Okay, he he doesn't want to do this, but he just does it. He does does it, it for a friend. And uh, and this this lady turns out to be uh, <laughs> played by Kim Novak. Okay, which I immediately think of from that one bit of dialogue in Rango. It's like we're getting pop tarts with Kim Novak. <laughs> which <laughs> that was the first. I was like, oh, that's where it's from. Okay. Yep. <laughs> uh, so. And she's, and it's one of those, like, I'm glad she got this part because she's like the perfect, like Hitchcock blonde, um, you know, where she's got this very mysterious quality about her. Mm. She's got this look, you know, and she, she's like, she doesn't have to say a word. She's just just that stare sometimes. Stare. She glides. She just is a presence. She's just, she's a presence. This late. And when we meet her, her name is. We, her name is Madeline, mm-hmm. you know, because that's that's the wife. My wife needs followed, oh. please. But she's obsessed with with this woman named Carlotta. Okay, and there's a lot of weird parallels going on, and some sometimes she feels like she's Carlotta. It's very strange. <laughs> and then things go on, and uh, you know, Jimmy Stewart gets more and more involved with this woman. And, um, you know, it turns out, you know, they fall in love. Um, but then a horrendous accident happens where she dies. But does she? Oh. Does she? Yeah. No. 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 She didn't. This is, this, this is, this is where it gets complicated. This is where it gets twisty, okay? So, the buddy's wife. Wife! Is dead. <laughs> So, so his wife, like, his wife did die. <laughs> yes. But. However, however, there is another woman that reminds, that reminds Scotty of Madeline. And this is where Judy comes in, also played by Kim Novak, who turns out it's one and the same. Yes. <laughs> Just, just the level of like, just quiet was perfect. Just yes, and we're back. <laughs> um, so and then and then it, like he gets he, he listen like like Jimmy Stewart Scotty gets super hi- hyper fixated on making making Judy look like Madeline. It's a little bit and uncomfortable. A little bit weird, but she goes along with it. Why? Not, not, you know, because she's in love with him. Yeah. She's, she's which like, is, should I, insane. should I just hold this? Should I just let him know? Should I just do this? Or should I just hold on to this, to this truth and, and see if he loves me? And then all, all he does is like, I need you to wear a gray suit. And could you dye your hair blonde? I'd put it up in a, in a, in a sort of like rose type knot on top of your head. Can you do that? She's like, why can't you love me for me? What's wrong with me? And he's like, 
you're not Madeline. That's why. He doesn't actually say that, but that's what he's thinking. <laughs> yeah, and he tries to recreate the, 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 the incident where Madeline died and um shit happens basically uh judy judy be uh jumping on accident that makes no sense she falls (laughs) (laughs) but you know what it's 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 foreshadowed early on in the movie when um when scotty's ex-wife is like or scotty's ex um it's not his wife it's his ex-fiance um is saying uh uh you know, in order to get over your fear of heights, you might need to go through another, like, traumatic experience. You know what? He got over his fear of heights. <laughs> it just is a really crappy what way. What did it cost? One. What did it cost? One Kim Novak. Just, uh, that'll be one Kim Novak, please. What? <laughs> yes, I'm going to I'm gonna need one <laughs> one Kim Novak for you to get over your, uh, your vertigo. Uh, no. <laughs> I don't want to do that. Like, um... Yeah, this thing is wild, and I knew when we do or knew this episode, I knew you would like this one more. And I think, generally speaking, I think I enjoy this movie more than Citizen Kane. It's more fun. It's more fun, yeah. It's more fun, it's more colorful, not to, like, you know, dock Kane for any of those points, because it's not fair, because it's black and white. Zero to ten. Black and <laughs> Zero white. Zero to ten. The world is gray, Wells. Do you not know that? God. <laughs> no, but... I mean, I mean, Kane makes up for it by being like big and theatrical and beautiful looking, even in black and white. It's not it's no contest, but um, I, I've I guess I've just been more of in a mindset, just wanting more colorful things lately. So, yeah. um, obviously, Vertigo sort of gets the point on that one. Um, bit 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 of cheating, but still. Uh, but I also just like this kind of narrative a bit more, the sort of twistiness and this sort of like the mystery aspect of it. Like, I really like a, like a good mystery in a movie. It's just so fun because it's so engaging. If it's a really well done mystery, it's just so engaging. Um, that's one of the reasons why I think I like, um, like a lot of like, obviously detective stuff, probably why I like Batman as much as I do when, you know, they really get into the mystery stuff. Um, scream, obviously, cause there's that mystery element of who's the killer. Who's the one behind the mask. Um, just so many, so many movies I, I tend to latch onto the most. There's, there's like a mystery element of like, where's this going or who's this person? Um, I mean, Kane has that too. Cause obviously there's a mystery of who is Kane and what is Rosebud. And so they're trying to figure that out. Um, but I mean, with this one, there's obviously a lot more twists and turns. I'm more shocked by the turns and twists of this movie than, um, you know, the, the sled. But again, I was, <laughs> I was so like shocked when i when i saw like the brunette um kim novak yeah like it was like when i first saw it, i remember that i'm like oh my god i, I also wanted I, I had to keep my mouth shut for so much of it watching this with you you know what it was nice because, because it was like he wasn't talking no, i'm kidding <laughs> no listen hey hey you know i'm sure lack of laughs is just listening to like this the, the, dis- the discourse up. is phenomenal <laughs> no no <laughs> Whenever just whenever Richard has no back and forth with Joey, ten out of ten. when Joey decides to open his mouth, garbage. No, I think lack of laughs thinks you're the best. That's what I think. That's what I think. Um, but 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 uh, your experience watching this though, I, I think it, it's also it's just so important because, like I said, I've seen this a number of yeah. times. But you, because you've, you know, I'm sure you've heard of this oh, movie, yeah. but like. 
I'm sure like I I'm not I'm sure I don't know what your impressions were of this movie before you saw this. I just knew um I I knew of it. I always liked the name Vertigo. I just thought it was a cool name. Obviously it made me think of like the comic book imprint Vertigo Comics that was around for a long time. Um which is now just basically DC Black Label, but either way, as long as they're still making um that like an imprint for those kind of books, I'm okay with that. Um Right. And uh, there was a there's also a comic book villain named Count Vertigo that it made me think of a little bit um, from Green Arrow. Um, and I just knew it was another one of those Hitchcock movies. I haven't actually watched a whole hell of a lot of his movies, if I'm being honest. I, I, I've seen Psycho millions of times. Well, everybody's yeah. seen Psycho. I feel like that's that's easily his most like but, the most seen of his yeah. movies. So I mean, I've have seen a lot of that, but like a lot of his other ones, I haven't. I've seen bits of, but I haven't like seen them all the way through. Um, the same can be said for this. Obviously, I've seen clips and I've seen images, and I knew of it, and I always knew the face the the face that Jimmy Stewart makes the <gasps> the shocked face. Yes. Um, and so I was actually pretty excited to finally sit down and watch it. Um, for the show, and I mean, the show's always become this. The show's really has become a good excuse for me to actually bother to watch like older things. So. Um, though uh, this time, you know, uh, unfortunately does get put into the, uh, the, the catalog of movies where one of us falls asleep, sadly. Yes. Yeah. Um, but you know what, if it was, if my internet was working, then maybe we would, we would have made it. Uh, so I don't put that on you. I put that on my internet. I am glad we got to watch as much of it as we did just because I wanted just to watch you watch this. <laughs> though that's, you could keep, you could remove this if you want but um the funniest thing was like when it got to the end of the movie and you fully fell asleep you you your phone was so perfectly placed in front of your face like it was so well framed you were literally just like super close up and you're like <laughs> like the gravity was pulling your cheek down you weren't drooling so that was good but oh, thank goodness because i'm a drooler but um it was just like i don't know how you managed to like get the phone like to stay up and like be perfectly aligned with your face i was kind of impressed maybe, by it. maybe maybe i'm like alfred hitchcock or orson well you're like the greatest cinematographer slash director of whenever your eyes are closed here's what i'll say folks i've come to this conclusion i've shown richard a number of older movies on mm -hmm. this program and I've come to the conclusion. Oh, I think I, yeah. If I want to keep showing more older movies, I got to make sure they have Jimmy Stewart in them. <laughs> because between this and it, it, it's a wonderful life, you know, would you say these are among the films that you've enjoyed that I've presented yeah. to you? Like um, like enjoyed period or enjoyed the most? Enjoyed the most among stuff that I'm like that you've never seen before that I'm like. Oh, that's that's a great question. Honestly, like it's because I'm trying to remember everything else that I, that you've shown me. The good, the bad, and the ugly. The bad and the ugly. The gam g Gamera. Gamera is hard to top, admittedly, because that actually was really, really good when I watched that. Um, good, and the bad, and the ugly. Uh, I mean, I liked it. It was a little long. Yeah. You know, the longer old movies, that's the ones that I'm like a little bit standoffish with. Um, but like, if there's something about it, like even the red shoes, I really like the red shoes. I mean, I got a copy of it. I got the new 4k yeah. copy. I'm really excited to own that, but it's also like one of those movies that's really long. And I, I feel like I gotta be like in the real like mood to yeah. watch it. Oh yeah. Um, but I would definitely put both vertigo and it's a wonderful life up there. Cause like there's just something about both of them that 
like obviously they're older movies they're more old school movies but there's just like something about them maybe it was jimmy you know i did i did think he was great in both jimmy is <clears throat> is really good and I, I remember when i was younger i used to like kind of like not think that for some mm-hmm. reason you didn't like jimmy I, I didn't hate jimmy but i was like okay but i <laughs> but but like vertigo and and it's a wonderful life you really get a great appreciation for him as an actor um like you play somebody like george bailey and then you play somebody like 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 john ferguson scotty ferguson okay where i was i was very curious how you're gonna like see this character's transformation in this movie because he starts out you know yeah he's got the fear of heights but he's not he's not terrible he's not like he's a normal he's a normal dude you know yeah more average joe but then he transforms into the movie as this movie's version of Alfred Hitchcock, where he's obsessed with the obsessed with the blonde <laughs> and obsessed with getting over his fears. Your hair color, your hair color is wrong. <laughs> it, it's like he's like a director, honestly. Yeah, like you know, how, like people say like Inception's like a movie crew, like a metaphor for like movie. I feel like I feel like uh, Scotty is like a film director, like like treating his because like, Hitchcock has the famous line of. I never said that actors were like cattle. I said that actors were cattle. And it, it's like this idea where he has, like, the auteur, the director has all this control. You know, he's mm-hmm. the outfit's got to be just right. And he, he gets very nervous when if, if he thinks, senses that the, the people don't know what he's going for with the outfits uh, that he picks out for Judy later on. They're like, it's okay, Mr. Ferguson. We got to take care. <laughs> you must really know what you want. <laughs> <laughs> like he he really understands women's clothing obviously obviously <laughs> obviously not like when he's yeah when he starts off like you know he comes off you know he's he seems charming enough kind enough like maybe not like overbearing one way or another but he seems he seems all right enough but what um how he how he kind of i guess devolves into this sort of like you know lovesick control freak <laughs> it's it's just it's it's definitely interesting but it's it, i was telling you when we were when i was watching it towards the end like this this such an interesting contrast between him and judy and their whole relationship because like judy who i feel for the whole time obviously but like i think with judy she also lied to him maybe not to her maybe not by her choice but she still lied to him you know what i mean yeah like it's funny because like they sort of they and then um it's such a it's it's honestly such a swap the more I think about it because it's like in a weird way neither Judy nor Scotty asked to be in this situation yeah neither of them and yet they're both like making not necessarily the best choices and the only the only real like truly shitty person in this whole thing is the the friend Gavin. Gavin that you know kills his wife and you know he uses his mistress and he you know manipulates and gaslights his friend to like you know figure stuff out and then you know they fall in love with each other and it becomes a whole thing and Midge who's on the screen because I'm watching Vertigo right now I gotta mention Midge Midge Midge. she just (sighs) I feel for Midge what what a saint she's she's too good for everybody in this movie (laughs) But but I also just feel like it's another Hitchcock thing where it's like he, he's he, this guy's got these two ladies, <laughs> yeah, like all the, these listen, all these blondes love me. 
it's it's also it's just the the the, the male fantasy of like I have this like ex- this this strange unearthly beauty look, and then this uh, this really nice lady who likes me too. But I'm just like, nah, no, she's got glasses. She plays Mozart for me when I'm crazy. She's a little <laughs> she's a little too uh, masculine for my, for my taste. Like she's like a yeah. working girl. She, she's she, got a she, job. She's got a job. <laughs> what a weirdo. She could support herself. I guess I'm pointless. I'm out of here. No. Nah, Peace. Peace. <laughs> but, <laughs> but no, but <laughs> Scotty and Judy, like, it's there's such, like, the both sides of the same coin in a weird way. Because, you know, neither of them wanted to be in the situation. They both fall in love with each other, and they both control, they both manipulate each other to a certain degree. Though, obviously, Scotty's more hands-on with it, just making her change her look to look more like Madeline, or quote-unquote Madeline, but with um, with Judy, she's just you know continuing to not tell him the truth that yeah I was actually Madeline, I was actually that person, um, and I was working with quote unquote um, uh, your friend in this whole endeavor, and so it's it, you feel weird the whole time at the end of it because like there's just so much like like who do I I don't I can't really root for anyone I just I'm rooting for Midge. I just want Midge to, to be okay. <laughs> as long as Midge is fine. Because, like, listen, she even painted a picture that was a picture that Scotty kept staring at. It was the uh, Carlotta picture or whatever. Mm-hmm. And But she made she put her own face on it, which, you know, she tried something. Right. She tried something, and he turned her down. You know what? Screw Scotty, Midge. You can do better. You know what? You don't even need Scotty, Midge. Here, here's what else. What I'm, speaking of, like the painting, some of my favorite scenes in the movie are when he's when he's tra- when he's following, um, um, when he's following Madeline, 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 Madeline. You know, where, where he get, where he goes to goes to the art museum. He's a bit of a voyeur, and he's like looking at her. She's looking at Carlotta. So it's kind of you know, it's it's like this whole like dual thing when she mm. goes to the flower shop, and you see bits of San Francisco. I mean, there's so many shots that like that are just such stickouts in my brain. Like the scenes by the Golden Gate Bridge before she jumps it jumps into the into the water, you know, um, just the, the the scenes of him like just staring. Um, I also want to mention Saul Bass real quick. He did the po- the iconic poster for this movie where it's like the swirl with like Jimmy Stewart and Kim Novak in the center of it, and he did the opening credits. For, oh, that's for cool. The mo- mo- he designed that. And another um, parallel with Citizen Kane, the music, uh, both done, both scores were done by Bernard Herrmann. Oh, I didn't know that. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, I remember hearing this, that um, Stephen Sondheim, late, uh, late great um, Stephen Sondheim, was um, partly influenced by Bernard Herrmann. Um, so I do think about Sweeney Todd sometimes when I think about this score for this movie. The love theme... Uh, we're gonna get back to the character stuff. I just want to make sure we mention like the tech, some of the technical yeah, yeah, stuff because yeah, yeah. these people do deserve to be mentioned. Um, like the score, the love theme for Vertigo is such a beautifully haunting piece of music. Um, just man, it's it it sticks in your mind a little bit. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't it doesn't go it doesn't really go away. Um, also, cinematography by Robert Burks. Um, listen because that's the other that's the really big thing this is we talk about uh three's trip technicolor 
quite a bit on this program. We talked about it with Wizard of Oz, uh, the red shoes, singing in the mm-hmm. rain. Um, this is definitely one of the best uses of Technicolor that we've talked about on this show without question. It is an absolutely gorgeous movie. I posted this on Twitter actually, like, because after watching this, like, I just thought, you know, the more I watch these like old sort of technic- Technicolor, like three strip Technicolor movies, it really makes me yearn for the days when people just like, because you got to remember too, like, a lot of these movies were made by people who maybe thought, you know, this is this is such a new technology. You know, like back in the day, all we did was black and white. Everything was black and white. So we just had to use with use what we could with that. So we finally get the color option. We can finally start doing this. And they do it as if they're never going to do it again. Mm-hmm. And no one, I feel like, does that anymore. It feels like no one does that anymore. So it's nice. It's nice when, not again, that's not to say there aren't color. There's some beautifully colorful movies that come out in the past, you know, especially, you know, this year, there was a lot of great truly colorful mm. movies actually we were watching a bit of the new james bond and i almost feel like that was a very colorful like very like sort of lush rich um colorful movie beautiful looking movie mm-hmm. obviously like with a few other like a few other movies I, I, obviously soho soho last night in soho makes me think of vertigo a lot after watching it which is kind of i funny. think um, i think about like anya taylor joy is like She'd be like a great if they didn't. Not that they should do a remake of, of Vertigo, but she'd be a great, um, great mm-hmm. Judy Madeline. Uh, she'd she'd type. do a great job with that, yeah. And just her stare too, like like it's it's haunting, but you're kind of in love at the same time. You know, <laughs> I'm thinking about uh, Johnny Bravo. I'm sick and but curious. <laughs> exactly. Like, <laughs> leave me alone. You're terrifying me. But um, I can't stop man. looking. But it's just. You wish more movies, especially, you know, given the climate of, like, the types of movies we get more often than not, just don't be afraid of just go crazy with some color. You know what I mean? Like, don't fade it. Let it let it breathe. Let it let it shine. It's also just hard, too, because, I mean, this is like a three-strip technicolor. This wasn't like a, an inexpensive movie to make. No. You know, but also today, it's just hard to make an adult, like, a mid-budget adult drama you know, because back in the day they could they could make money, but I think about you know there's a lot of like adult quote unquote adult movies that come out this year. I'm not saying like things that are necessarily graphic, but like things that appeal to an older audience that are not like franchise based or whatever. Yeah, it's especially with the pandemic, it's so hard for them to succeed. Like yeah, like I was watching that uh, Chris Stuckman video on the Last Duel. Did you see that? I I did watch that video. Yeah. Uh, I remember the bit when he was like talking about, and this this does feel somewhat discouraging, um, though I, I don't think it should you know prevent anyone from pursuing this. But uh, the idea that so many legendary filmmakers like Spielberg, Scott, Del Toro, Wright, all these people made made films this year. So many great directors made films this year, and no one saw them. Yeah, like like how heartbreaking is that? Like especially if you're a young filmmaker to hear like all these legendary filmmakers making moves, and that's not to say it's their own fault. Like obviously there's other factors, pandemic, um, just all these other things. But at the same time, it 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 is so sort of discouraging for especially a young filmmaker to, to hear that and be like, well, if these guys can't get the money, these guys can't make something that can make money, unless they're doing Spider-Man four or five or another freaking Batman movie or whatever, like what, how does that make me feel? If like I, if I try something, 
No, 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 go ahead, go ahead. I just want to say this because I've seen this conversation come up on film Twitter a lot, and this is not meant to be, this episode's not meant to be that. I want to get back to Vertigo soon, too. <laughs> but, like, but like, listen, you know, we like franchise stuff. I yeah, mean, we do. You're a, you're a Batman fan. I'm a King Kong fan. You yeah. know, we like that stuff. But it's, it's, it, it, it's so important for a healthy, like, movie marketplace to have those mid-budget, movie those smaller movies succeed too you know it, and it's it's not just like uh super all superhero movies are bad or all uh, you know no it's, it's not it's, downplaying any of that stuff no 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 it's just it's just it'd be nice because in years past there was room there was there was room for comp like counter program like this is a weird example but like the dark oh, weekend the dark knight came out you know what came out that weekend at the same time what else came out that weekend mama mia Mamma mm-hmm. Mia came out. Completely different kind of movie. And you know what? It did damn well for itself. I know it's based on a thing, but like, still. like It's, it's, it's especially musicals. like Especially musicals. Like, especially ideally, musicals. like, if this was normal times, you know, West Side Story would be, it would be a hit. You know, I think it would, it would make serious, I think it would make serious cash. But Vertigo, you know, um, mm. There's so much to talk about, like like so so much to talk about with with this movie. The use of green is amazing. I think the most the most memorable shot for me is where where he's at at Judy's play, you know Judy's room, and and she comes out. Or no, the silhouette. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The silhouette of her because you she, uh, you because I remind you of her, and you just she she looks all black in black, and then like just the the green it just sticks out. Mm-hmm. Even just like when it cuts to like the the close up shot of her face and then like part of it's lit with the green light, but you, like her purple lipstick is standing out. Yes. The the color the color grading again is is astonishing, um, and just the uh, the 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 way the, like the the brilliant use of color. Even like um, with that restaurant, or like um, what's it called? What was the restaurant? Uh, was, that, that, was that Ern- was that Ernie's? Ernie's or I something? Think, yeah, I think so. But like like the red like backgrounds like like sort of like the rich red like sort of almost velvet looking backgrounds and then to really make Kim Novak stand out this like beautiful like shiny green dress mm-hmm. you know like like it, stuff like that like you know color that's why color is so great um, uh, kudos to Universal um, mm. as well by the way because they have the rights to this movie and. In, in the '90s, this movie was in utter like dog shit condition um, back in the day. So they were able to do a really nice restoration of this movie. Uh, back, they did a 70 millimeter restoration. Um, oh wow! Actually, back in the day, and it looks it looks great. And and future film fans and and film students and film scholars can enjoy it. Um, and that's why I'm watching it right now. It's so important to preserve this stuff, guys. It's like because film is is so flammable and it's mm-hmm. it, it's so it deteriorate it could deteriorate just very easily um man it it's just it's just a great it's a great movie but <laughs> i love i think one of my favorite things about it is just like the contrast between the modern and the and the old stuff like you have a lot of stuff that in san francisco that in in that california area that looks like it's been there forever like with mm-hmm. the churches and and some of the paintings and things, but then you have like the cityscape and going to you know different parts of the city that are modern, 
you know, just conflicting. So it's, I feel like it's kind of a nice representation of like the Carlotta Madel- like Madeline quotes dynamic. <laughs> so like uh, this just it it's just great. I mean, I don't know. It, I, I I don't know what what else. To, like, but it also it's also so great too because like the cast is so small when you think about it. Yeah, I mean it's 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 ultimately like the only really important people are like four people. You know, it's Jimmy Stewart, the friend, Kim Novak, and Midge. Mm-hmm. And everybody else is just kind of, like, showing up to see what's going on. Yeah. But, I, you know what? This will be a good opportunity for me to sort of bring up the title thing, if that's okay. Yes, that's fine. Sure. So, obviously, one of the biggest, not not maybe not the ultimate, but, like, one of the biggest reasons this episode came to be is because of the Switch that we were talking about on that list. And, you know, we talk about it briefly, like the whole idea of greatest movie of all time, which, again, when I was getting into movies and looking up lists and looking up top 10, which I think I think is natural. Obviously, I think a lot of people do that. And it's worth doing that to like not even just to like find out what people think are the greatest things of all time, but just like to to find something to watch or read or whatever you're getting into. And just the whole uh, concept the more I think about it, more time has gone on, just continues to weird me out and continues to like, make me think like, how, like, why is this so important that people consider that people like look at these things the way that they do. And so like, when, when I think of vertigo or when I think of citizen Kane, obviously they have that unfortunate, and maybe that's why I'm a little bit more critical of things like Kane, because it does have that unfortunate stigma of being called the quote unquote greatest movie of all time. When, you know, you know that like that special feature was talking about the one that, that that you had me watch um you know how that notion may turn it off for some people cuz they watch and they're like really cuz maybe it just sets it up to be like a high expectation thing i don't know yeah but um i think of a lot like the whole like how that that feeling that saying if you will of the greatest movie of all time just plays into that whole, like I was saying earlier, the statistic culture of film criticism and looking at like Rotten Tomatoes and looking at percentages. Like, you know, obviously people probably look at like, say, the new, Sp- not to bring up Spider Man again, like the Spider Man No Way Home is like, oh, it's got a 99% on Rotten Tomatoes. Of course, it's like the greatest movie of all time. It's like, does that mean anything? You know? Um, like the other day, uh, I was talking to some coworkers and they were talking about like, I don't know how to determine if a movie is bad. And that kind of shocked me a little bit. You know what I mean? Like it kind of, like it kind of made me go. Like maybe it shocked me. It kind of made me go, huh? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, well, for me, it's like if I'm bored. But like, I feel like that's a big. I think that's the big indicator. But like, I feel like with movies, there's like, I feel like because people always say like film is subjective. Yeah. But I do feel like that there are standards, generally yeah. speaking, especially with narrative, um, with narrative films, but. Uh, you know, it's I, like like determining something is a bad film. Like people come out of things differently. Like I watch Godzilla versus Kong, and I'm like, this is a perfect version of what it's supposed to be. And then you get like Michael's take that I read. Love you, Michael. By the way, you got Michael's take, or you got other people who's just like that was just a theme park ride, and I didn't get to be on a ride. <laughs> it's 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 the ultimate thing about it. like yeah. There's there's probably some sort of. I mean, there's probably some sort of formula or some sort of thing that's worth following if you want to make a quote-unquote good movie. But 
at the same time, like, I think the perception, like you, like you were just saying, like, everybody perceives things differently when it comes to art, when it comes to movies. And so it's just, it's such a weird thing, like, you know, for to hear, like, you know, oh, I don't know how to determine if a movie is bad. And then you're like, well, it's it's up to you. You know, you watch it, and if you feel like this isn't, like, jiving with you, if you find it boring, problematic, if you find it um, insensitive, or if you find it um, annoying or dumb, or it's not keeping... it's If it's not doing anything for you, then that, that means it's bad for you, and that's all that matters. There's no statistical way to prove anything is great or terrible. And that's always been something that genuinely annoys me <laughs> with, with a lot of, like just modern perception of movie criticism and just not to say all critics like that, but obviously like, you know, certain demographic, but, um, so it's, it's sort of weird to like, you know, have something be categorized like the greatest movie of all time. I guess it's like the same stigma of some movies that win best picture. You know, it's like, why yeah. is this the best picture? And, you know, See, it's like this. And this is where I come in. Okay. Cause you have your skepticism of like things that are established in the canon as the greatest. Yeah. I have a skepticism of something where some, oh my gosh, this latest movie, it's so good. And it's like, okay, let's let it sit for a bit. I'm not saying it isn't great, but let's let it, let's, let's, let's slower roll. And there's yeah. some movies that, that do stand that test of time. And I think, I, you know, and there's movies I could think about that I know will stand the test of time and are like, I think about Get Out off the top of my head yeah. is an exceptional movie. And that's a movie that will, that, that'll remain famous but I think about Spotlight, perfectly fine movie, perfectly one one best picture. But are you thinking one, about it right now? But when was the last time you thought about Spotlight? Did you even think about Spotlight when it won best picture? I bet you weren't. I bet you were. Did, did you even know that movie was in the race? Did you, did you even know there was a movie called Spotlight? Okay, or uh, it was like I saw Michael Keaton go up, and I was like, oh, what? Michael Keaton? <laughs> you know, but, it, but it's so hard. That's why it's so hard though with the Oscars because. They try, they, they try to say uh, it feels like it needs to fill like a certain demographic or something, and it's like, it's just hard. Like, when, when you hear think, what things lose best picture, what things win best picture, it can raise eyebrows sometimes, too. It's 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 just, you know... Like, Citizen... Neither eh. one of these movies won best picture. I just want to point that out there. Neither no. one of these won best no. picture. No, neither one. Um, Kane got really good reviews, but it didn't win best picture, and it wasn't the most it wasn't the most profitable movie when it came out i'll say that much and vertigo got mixed reviews when it came out you know so these things yeah. these things take time and think about blade runner blade runner the shining is another great example um mm -hmm. you know just and even sometimes great movies that maybe for a long time are considered classics take a complete 180 for yes. some reason you know, like, with The Shining, you think of, you know, obviously the whole concept of, like, everything with Kubrick and Shelley Duvall, yeah. and, you know, people hear about that, and that changes their whole perspective of that movie and how they right. feel about it. And, you know, again, things change, and time changes, but, like, I do agree with that statement wholeheartedly, that some of the best movies ultimately are the ones that happen to stand the test of time. I mean... You know, the ones that are... And, and even just, again, the ones that appeal to you and the ones that appeal to again it doesn't there's no statistic to it but there's no like um uh there's no right or wrong answer no. and it it always just feels so weird like on either side of that table to like you know to hear people like 
I mean, obviously, there's worth there's worthwhile debate. I mean, obviously, you know, we're having conversation right, right now about movies, but you know, it's just it's interesting, and, and sometimes it's a little annoying. But <laughs> you know, there's there's nothing wrong with these movies just being important, yes, and historical. They do they need to be the greatest of all time? I guess you, is you know my what I, I I always say mm-hmm. like. I don't. I don't need somebody to pick the one best movie. You're picked like the ten most important movies of the year. Pick pick yeah. ten of those because I think you know. I remember like I think Force Awakens was picked by the AFI as one of the ten movies of the year, and it wasn't necessarily going to be a best picture nominee or anything like that. It was never had a chance to win no. or anything like that. But it was certainly one of the most important movies of the year. You know, I I think about that. Um, listen, like. With movies, I think about, like, The Last Jedi, where people say it's a quantifiably bad movie. Movies are not the, the, the uh, are not, um, the quadratic formula, guys, okay? Movies are... <laughs> There's no scientific accuracy to the, to the quality Listen, of a movie. Here's what I'll say. Movies are closer in, in consistency and, and emotionality to how you feel about your grandmother's cooking. How you feel about your how you feel about your your mom making making lasagna or whatever than it does a mathematical formula that you can compute perfectly every time. It's an emotional experience. It changes. It shifts. Um, I think it's important. I think when talking about these movies, it's important to say like these are considered the greatest movies of all time by this these publications by. This, by this article, article or this that doesn't thing. mean we, but we, you need context for that. But also an important part of that video essay too, that we we don't get into too much because we're we're a couple white guys on this show, um, you know, mm-hmm. and um, neither one of these filmmakers are people of color or women, or you know whatever. So it's like, what is the canon? You know who determine like people who what determines that? You know, um. Because, like, mm-hmm. there's so many important movies, but it's not just white people. White, white dudes that make movies uh, is the other big thing, too. Yeah. It's worth um, actually, like, like genuinely, it's it's worth, like, seeking out films from other perspectives on that note. You know, there's so many, there's so many people in the world. There's so many people who have something to say and want to say it in this format. And it's worth seeing what yep. they're saying. So. I think, but, but you know what? I think... I, I but 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 having said all that, I think I would if I was like a film professor, like teaching a general like film class, I would show both of these movies. I think mm. I could see that. I would I I don't know if I would ever see myself as a film professor because I I don't I, I don't know I don't know if I'd ever put myself in that light. But if I could, I would. I think these movies would definitely be on the curriculum. So I, I always I think my film theory class, which you know ha- played Kane as the first movie, that was my favorite class in my entire time in college because i mean hey you just watch movies but also because i mean if you really appreciate it, and i feel like to a certain degree maybe i didn't appreciate it as much as i did back then and i kind of regret that but um i always i, I always remember like every time we would sit and watch a movie whether it was kane or battleship potemkin bicycle thief snatch adaptation which again just a huge variety of difference right there alone. Um, but whenever we'd watch any movie, and if it was something we truly were engaged with, 
you know, obviously we'd have the conversation in, in the one class, just all sitting in a circle, all throwing out ideas. And, you know, sometimes an idea would make someone laugh or an idea would, you know, be debated or whatever. Everyone would have something to say about each movie. And it was just such an engaging conversation. And when the class was over, we would still be talking with the teacher, Maria. Shout out to Maria. I miss you. Um, uh, we would still be talking to her well after the class was over in the hallway downstairs like almost getting ready to walk out the door we're just all standing and we're still talking about these movies and i mean that you know that's that that's just great i i, I genuinely that's probably why i do this because i just love that i loved doing that and it just i think it it helped grow my personal appreciation for movies a little bit more having done all that and hearing all these opposing opinions or similar opinions or whatever they may be and no, it's just if you're in college take a film theory class it's worth it i think i mean expose yourself to some great um, you know what was one of my favorite movies i saw in a film class was uh midnight train uh but jim mm-hmm. jarmusch it's such, a, it's such a great movie um you know but there's a lot of movies out there i think what this feels you know what the, i was thinking just thinking this feels like a series finale of two dudes the way we're talking about this <laughs> This feels like a summary of what we feel. Like this is this is our our film philosophy for this podcast, I guess. Well, you know what? Every scheduled episode, I'm so sorry. We're no, done. We're gonna keep no, going, okay. but put a pin in this episode. And if you want, if you didn't feel like whatever our last episode being as a satisfactory episode, consider this like the series finale. There you go. Honestly, because I'm gonna listen back to this and I'm like, this feels so final because it isn't. <laughs> it's not i assure you I'm but you know what I, I i feel like this is going to be the most one of the more important ones we've done, i, I, though, I think so i'm gonna have fun editing this one um you know and yeah. i think that, that makes for an interesting episode because it's like there's so much to talk about with each of these movies you know they're not and and mm-hmm. this is and the impact the that they've had that they've had listen like you look at these movies and like because again you think about like a lot of movies and you, you have to really like stuff that you just take for granted with movies. It's there in these movies. That's, you know what? I think that's a good point. That's the, probably the biggest takeaway ultimately I've had with both these movies is that they, they present something. Cause obviously there's a lot of stuff that they're known for. Like with, you know, it could be the technicolor or it could be the cinematography with Kane, or it could be the performances or the way that the stories were told. And these things are so commonplace with a lot of other movies these days. And yet you sit and you watch it. And because it's done so well, you kind of appreciate it more. Like I'm talking about, I want more color in movies. I think it has to do with Vertigo being what it is and the looking the way it does to a certain degree. Because like you just like, I want more like this. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it just makes you appreciate the stuff that they were doing at a certain point to want it more later on. So I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. Man. Vertigo. Vertigo. I'm glad we did the show, Joey. We can stop. <laughs> no, it's just like this. This whole episode got, gets me more excited for movies. You know, it's it's a it's a rejuvenated. Mm-hmm. It's a hype it's up. Hype up. You know, just. I think you know what, not to no. not to cut you off, but like, um, I think the ultimate goal, and I think you'd agree with this. Whenever anyone listens to one of these episodes, is potentially someone hearing us talk about something they've never seen and being interested to want to actually yep. watch it. Would you agree with that? I agree with that. Like, listen, you know, it, it's just whenever we do these shows, we we think that even if 
I th- I, there's very few exceptions of things we don't think you should see. Like, <laughs> don't watch the don't pest. Watch for the love of, listen, whatever you believe in, whatever whoever you're, whoever you pray to at night, pray that they never put the pest in your life, <laughs> ever. Um, it's just yeah, and I think everybody involved with that film would agree with that assessment as well. <laughs> just, yes. We don't say that about most movies, but most movies we talk about on here, we think you should see. Even if you love, love or hate them. Like, yes. It's the same, in the same way that we show each other movies, you know, and mm-hmm. even if, whether we like it or not, we're the better for it because we've seen more movies. We have a wider palette of when to talk, of what to talk about when we're talking about movies. And that really is just the yeah. gift that keeps on giving, honestly, as I say this the day after Christmas, as this comes out like two weeks into the new year. <laughs> Joey, thank you. Thank you, Joey. No problem, Richard. Uh, likewise, uh, well, I don't get a thank I, you. I, I said oh, thank you. There we go. <laughs> there we go. There we go. There we go. There we go. About, I appreciate it. You know what? <laughs> this is taking way too damn long to explain myself. So what I'll do this, I'll do instead, folks. Um, what do you consider the like essential movies that people should see? Whether it's your favorite movies or mm-hmm. movies you think are important, let us know. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We're each on Letterbox. We got the YouTube channel. We have 73 other episodes that you could be listening to right now. So in case this is your first, this, this seemingly series finale, this is final, not the final episode, episode, but it feels like it, (laughs) (laughs) but listen to the other episodes and we're going to keep pumping out episodes. I know we have things planned for a a very long time, which is either exciting news or the worst that you've heard, but anyway, we'll see what happens, whatever. It doesn't matter because we enjoy uh, I can think we can speak for both of us. Uh, we both enjoy doing this. So true. Uh, there is that. Uh, that about wraps it up. Hopefully you'll check us out next week. <laughs> Have a good night, everyone. Thank you all for listening to Two Dudes, One Double Feature. Please follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Special shout-out, as always, to John and Kenny Armstrong. Thank you guys for everything you do for this show. We wish you a speedy recovery, and we hope to see you guys back very soon. And, of course, a hint to next week's double feature. We're talking two alien invasion films that teach the wonders of friendship and ohana. Stay tuned. Your hair color is wrong. Yes.